From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Monique Aiken, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, December 8th. Today, Amy Cortese catches up with Marilyn Waite of the Climate Finance Fund and Don Lippert of, of Elemental Accelerator, who offer contrasting takes on COP28, the global climate summit that is headed into its climactic final days in Dubai. But first, here's what you need to know from the week in Impact Investing. This month's list of impact funds in active fundraising mode keyed on managers who are aligning their compensation with their impact performance. In Germany, Masawa has tied half of its carry, or profits, to its impact targets and pledged to return 10% of those profits to founders in its portfolio. Social Finance in Boston is charging below market fees and taking no carry at all in order to deepen the impact of its impact first fund. Funds of funds are emerging as a way to deploy larger techs from global investors to smaller fund managers who are closer to the solutions. MasterCard Foundation's Africa Growth Fund has allocated $200 million to support economic opportunities for women and youth. This week, it put $8 million into the SME Impact Fund in Tanzania, which invests in businesses that work with smallholder farmers, and $9 million in Chewy Ventures, a women-led fund in Nairobi, making early-stage tech investments in Kenya and Nigeria. In a guest post on Impact Alpha, Susan DeWitt of the Collaborative for Frontier Finance identifies funds of funds like Dutch Good Growth Fund, Karamu Capital, and the Nyala Fund from FSD Africa. Recent subpoenas from the U.S. House Judiciary Committee to shareholder activists and investor collaboratives has chilled corporate climate activism. But the antitrust claims behind the subpoenas are weak, as Columbia University's Cynthia Hannawalt and Denise Hearn explain on Impact Alpha. And the COP28 Global Climate Summit generated not only spirited discussion, as we'll hear in a moment, but also a flood of announcements and initiatives. One that jumped out, the $30 billion commitment from the United Arab Emirates to Altera, which has also brought together BlackRock, Brookfield Asset Management, and TPG to mobilize up to $250 billion for climate investments in the global south. The UAE has been fighting off charges that it has been championing fossil fuel production, even as it hosts the Global Climate Summit. An artificial intelligence for climate has been a hot topic and may even get written into the COP's final agreement. In Impact Alpha, David Bank and Amy Cortese suggest the climate challenge may do as much for AI as AI does for the climate. By applying AI to meet the greatest existential threat facing humanity, they write, AI may absolve itself of being the greatest existential threat to humanity. Amy Cortese has been covering the COP from Impact Alpha's Climate Desk in New York. Among her eyes and ears on the ground are Marilyn Waite of the Climate Finance Fund and Don Lippert of Elemental Accelerator. First up, let's hear from Marilyn. Thanks for joining us, Marilyn. We've been writing about the focus this year at COP28 on entrepreneurship and climate tech innovation. What are you seeing? So first, this is the largest turnout ever for a Conference of the Parties, COP. It is primarily a conference for diplomats, right, to negotiate climate action globally. And so this year, over 100,000 people have registered for quote unquote blue zone access, which is the inside diplomatic access. But they also believe that 400,000 plus people have registered for a day pass into the green zone. And the green zone is the zone open to the public. 
open to business, et cetera. And so it is pretty phenomenal in terms of the amount of people that have converged into Dubai for COP28. Yeah, well, I, I admit to um, some FOMO uh, covering it from afar. Um, what's the scene on the ground been like? Well, I would say there's two sides. So on the one side, a lot of clear interest in climate action, a lot of dedication to ambitious climate outcomes. On the other hand, there is a lot of controversy and a lot of legitimate criticism of the entire show. And there's a bit of perception that this is very much a charade. Why? Because while there has been the biggest turnout, there also has been the biggest turnout in fossil fuel lobbyists. We are located in an oil and gas country. It's being headed. The conference is being led by an oil and gas leader who, since the COP has started, has announced that the science does not support stopping fossil fuels, which of course is not true. The science does support that. So there are both things happening at the same time. It's like the yin and the yang. I have a, a, a former colleague who once made a metaphor that I really like of a dirty bathtub. And right now we're in this filthy, dirty bathtub of greenhouse gas emissions, fossil fuels. And really what we've managed to do is add a little bit of clean water on top with renewable energies and other climate solutions. But until we drain the dirty water and start over and really replenish our entire ecosystem with climate-friendly solutions, it doesn't matter. The atmosphere doesn't work that way. So we can pump as much as we want into our systems for climate solutions until we stop the fossil fuel expansion, until we actually drain that dirty water, we are doomed. So there is that hope and that frustration at the same time. Well, I won't be forgetting that dirty bathtub metaphor anytime soon, Marilyn. Um, so financing is a perennial question at COP, right? Where are the trillions of dollars for climate mitigation and adaptation for emerging markets going to come from? What are you picking up there? One of the recommendations that is being put forward in terms of public finance is that the taxation system be revamped to mobilize public budgets for climate finance into the global south, emerging economies, or low and middle income countries. For example, a private jet tax. It turns out that private jets don't even pay their fair share in terms of air traffic control resources, let alone greenhouse gas emissions. One could expand that to business class tickets. One could look at shipping. So there are all of these areas for public budget and taxation in the public finance arena. We know that we need both private and public, but some of these things are finally coming to the fore in terms of how do we find and mobilize the trillions needed. Bear in mind, 
that we have the capital already in the global financial system. There's over 450 trillion US dollars in global wealth. So we have the capital, which is why when the loss and damage fund numbers started to trickle in with country commitments, it was taken as disrespectful, quite frankly, to the global majority because it was peanuts. The UAE and Germany announced 100 million. 100 million US dollars is like what a small island can do, not what major rich countries like Germany and the UAE can do. The United States is probably one of the worst offenders, announcing 17 million for the loss and damage fund subject to congressional approval. Really, that's what a lot of small and medium-sized businesses make in a day in the United States, let alone the national budget of the federal government. So that was the context for Climate Finance Day, the Blue Zone, and some of the panels and discussions that have happened since. As Marilyn described, the action in the Blue Zone has so far yielded mixed results, at best. But this truly has been a tale of two cops. Don Lippert spoke with Amy about the excitement among entrepreneurs and private funders who are meeting in the green zone. John, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, you just got back from COP28. I hope you've caught up on your sleep. Thank you. Yes, I did just get back from COP28 and I am feeling super energized. <laughs> great, great. Well, in a way, it kind of seems to be a tale of two cops. Um, there was a major oil and gas presence, you know, it was held in the UAE, it's kind of the petrocop, but at the same time, a lot of energy and a lot of news coming out of, of uh, Dubai. What, what's your high level take on it? Yeah, I think there was a lot of energy and news coming out of Dubai. I mean, from my perspective, we work with entrepreneurs, we work with investors, we work with government, we bridge across many of these different kinds of organizations. And it was so energizing to see more entrepreneurs there than I've ever seen before at a COP or have ever been to a COP. And many of our CEOs from the Elemental Accelerator and Earthshot Ventures portfolios were at a COP for the first time. So, you know, we saw a lot of interest from entrepreneurs in being there. And we saw really strong receptivity from the COP team in bringing entrepreneurs into the conversation. So this is the first year, for example, there was a technology and innovation hub or area and then there wasn't just one, there were two, and there was a whole startup village where lots of different startups had brought their products, had brought senior team members, brought their CEOs and founders to share what they're doing and implementing on the ground to make the goals a reality. And that's what we see over and over at Elemental is the overall ambitious policy goals and structures are really important for setting markets, for setting ambition, for, uh, really laying the national state and international frameworks for emissions reductions. But at the same time, it's developers and entrepreneurs on the ground that are building solutions that are, you know, putting power electronics into boxes and into the ground, into concrete and making these actual changes on the ground. So having those two critical components, government leaders and entrepreneurs and private sector leaders, both there talking to each other, sharing ambition, and progress was really meaningful. 
Yeah, and one of the cool things this year as well was um, sort of a focus on uh, building and strengthening entrepreneurial ecosystems for climate tech in the global south and other emerging markets. Yes, we talked quite a bit about building systems that work in the global south and other emerging markets. And there was a specific theme this year at COP focused on inclusion. And we really did see that play out across the sessions. You know, one room I was in on Sunday had more accents than I've ever been in a room with in my entire life. Really people from dozens of countries, dozens of different perspectives from the private sector, from indigenous communities, from islands, from the nonprofit sector, all kind of coming together in different mashups in different ways. And one of the things that I really valued about it is I think, you know, one of the keys to getting where we're trying to go is blended capital. You know, at Elemental, we're very focused on catalytic capital to get projects in the ground, to de-risk projects and bring in capital at scale. And it's forums like COP that where people are mixing with people they wouldn't normally talk to that create serendipity and creativity and new ideas that do lead to blended capital, new deal structures, and new ways of advancing technology that's necessary. I love the serendipity and the mashups. Um, so what does that catalytic capital look like for your portfolio companies? The way that we see it is, you know, the, the IEA has said that 50% of the technologies we need to reach decarbonization goals are not yet available at scale. So that means for the 50% that are available at scale, we need to deploy as quickly as possible. We need markets that are receptive, that are ready to deploy, that are reducing friction and reducing transaction costs and deploying quickly, quickly, quickly. But for the 50% that are not yet commercially available at scale, we need to be really creative at accelerating their scale up and deployment as quickly as possible to get to scale. And maybe I'll just give you a couple of examples of the kind of companies we had at, in, in Dubai and at COP who are doing this. You know, we had Source Global, which is taking sunlight and air and creating fresh water. They're now doing this in many countries around the world and are scaling up really significantly. We had Ampere, which has developed a hybrid electric airplane that's far less polluting than traditional aircraft. And again, they're building at scale with a number of different airlines. We also have Zero Avia in our portfolio on low emissions aircraft and flying new kinds of airplanes with lower emissions. And then one final example that we had at, at COP this year is carbon cure technologies, which injects CO2 into concrete to sequester it forever and make better concrete, which is, you know, if you're traveling around Dubai or many other places uh, right now, see lots of cranes in the sky, lots of buildings going up, and we need to find a way to have lower carbon building materials to sustain the demand for, for housing and building around the world. Yeah, and Don, I'm so glad you brought up blended capital and catalytic capital. I know that is something, um, as you said, you you um, are very focused on. But there seem to be a lot of uh, kind of innovative funds and sort of funding models coming out of COP that are looking to use um, philanthropic funds or, or different things to kind of catalyze the the scale of finance that we need. Did you notice that as well? Yes, absolutely. We're seeing catalytic vehicles we announced out of COP, both for emerging markets and for Europe and U.S. markets. And there are significant capital gaps in both geographies and there are specific ways that we can address them and kind of go after them. 
On the elemental side, for instance, we've looked at our entire pipeline and portfolio of companies and found a capital gap of at least $4.7 billion across the elemental portfolio alone in the next one, two, three years of projects that need capital that are ready to be deployed, but have some kind of barrier to getting the capital that they need. And many times this is because the projects are smaller than they, than sort of typical funds want to go, or there's some commercial risk still in deploying the projects. And so if we can bring in philanthropic capital to just to take some of that initial risk, buy down some of that initial risk, co-invest, with others that are ready to invest at scale, we can move things so much faster. When you talk to entrepreneurs right now in our portfolio, this is really at the top of their list of, of things that are creating uh, headwinds or really slowing them down is the fact that they need to talk to 50, maybe 100 different capital providers to find the exact one that wants to fund a project in this location to scale up in this way. And we're not talking about billion dollar projects. We're talking about smaller projects, many of them under $20 million that are going to be, you know, recycling batteries in Ohio, that are going to be recycling textiles in South Carolina, projects that are going to be um, developing a sustainable aviation fuel plant in uh, New York. So we're talking about projects that need, you know, somewhere around $20 million or, or less and can really move the needle on decarbonization. So I'm really excited to see the announcements coming out of COP around more creative funding vehicles. I think this is exactly what's needed to unstick this bottleneck and really move at speed. Fantastic. And what insights or maybe even calls to action um, did you take away from COP? Yeah, it's a great question around sort of calls to action from COP. And I think so many insights. I think one of the things that COP sort of made clear to me was how much the public and private sectors are already collaborating and how much opportunity there is there. So when you realize that many of these sort of ministers or heads of agencies are talking to entrepreneurs, they're learning from them, they're learning from corporates, you know, they're working on how environmental justice can benefit from AI. I mean, these things are already happening. And so it really becomes clear at, at COP. And at the same time, they really need to be accelerated. So, I mean, for me, I think it really started on the plane to COP with a bunch of people that were going there. And we already started sort of thinking about new ideas and ways to collaborate, ways to unstick things, ways to take sort of the best kind of reach from the government sector and ability to institutionalize and the best innovation and ideas from the private sector and mash them up in, in new ways. So, I mean, our call to action is to um, accelerate those collaborations and to continue really pushing how we develop projects that have deep community impact. And that was the other thing that was really striking to me at COP was that because of the incredibly powerful voices and advocacy of small island nations, of uh, folks from the Pacific, you know, I'm, I'm from Hawaii, so this is really close to my heart. We saw just a real recognition that disadvantaged communities, island nations, small communities need to be at the table and part of co-designing the solutions that will work for all of us. So that was a real recognition this year at COP. I think small island nations have done a really extraordinary job of building their voice, building their power, and showed up in a really high impact way this year at COP. 
Yeah, I'm a huge fan of um, Mia Motley, and it's great to see so much of her Bridgetown agenda actually being um, adopted. Um, But on that note, Dawn, um, we spoke in late August after the wildfires in Hawaii. So I I know you're very close to all that. So I hope that um, rebuilding and healing is going well. Thank you. I I really appreciate that. And as you know, Maui's a long road. And I think it's really been remarkable to see the support from around the world for Maui and the Aloha for for our community. And, And even though it's not you know, at the top of the news cycle anymore. A lot of the support has endured and, and that's been incredibly meaningful. And I think the, you know, partnerships that will be built and, and are coming together to support the the healing and recovery of Maui, you know, these are going to be long-term partnerships. And uh, it's been remarkable to sort of see that already moving forward. And that's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to Don, Marilyn, Amy, David, and our producer, Isaac Silk. Be sure to keep an eye out for Marilyn's upcoming podcast series called The Global South Climate Tech Podcast, which will be dropping later this month. Sign up for Impact Alpha Open, our free weekly newsletter, directly at impactalpha.com. Or become a subscriber to get full access to our award-winning daily coverage in impact investing and sustainable finance. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening. I'm Monique Aiken, Managing Director for TIP, the Investment Integration Project, and host of Into the Record, another podcast launched this year. Be sure to check back for next week's briefing, and until then, take care. Take care.